Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. This is a podcast from Minute Media. What's up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And on The Stack, we talk about a ludicrous amount of comics that have come out this week. Kicking it off. Ludicrous. Kicking it off with Ant-Man number one from Marvel, written by Al Ewing, art by Tom Riley. This is kicking off the, I believe, 60th anniversary celebrations for Ant-Man. And as you might expect from that, also giving this team is a jaunt to the past, but also a look forward to the future. I was personally totally surprised by this book, did not see it coming, and easily it became one of my favorites of the week. But what about you guys? Oh, agreed. I was really impressed with the old school feel of it. It was, uh, it's like dipping yourself in nostalgia comics. Uh, it was so fun. Such a smart, cool choice. I had a blast with it. Super impressive. I mean, it, a lot of books try to dip into the nostalgia thing and, and loop in some old continuity in a way where it's like, look how clever we're being. This one felt like it was started with a great nod to the future, did the the deep dip into the continuity and sort of um, bringing in a golden age feeling story, but absorbed it all in a way that I think was a deeper dive than I, than I expected. And I really enjoyed it. I love the fact that the whole adventure only happened because Ant-Man was trying to roast some kids who threw some popcorn at him in a movie theater. Well, and For, also I think this is a level of respect that we haven't come to expect from Ant-Man in years. You know, we've had Scott Lang, we've had I'm blanking on the name of the evil Ant-Man, the guy who's turned out to be like black ant or whatever. Uh, Eric O'Grady. Oh, yeah. Robert is that who Kirkman's. It is? Yeah. Yeah. Eric. I, I think it's Eric O'Grady. Yeah. So who are great characters, but it's been a purposefully goop character for probably nigh on a decade now. And given the movies, it's been the same sort of thing. So to dive back into Hank Pym and treat it as this serious character who also Hank Pym has been a villain or skirting the line of being villain for a very Skr- long time. I I don't know what you're doing there. Uh, the <laughs> I thought it was great. Like that was actually very surprisingly refreshing. And it looks like we're going to get a jaunt through Ant Man history over the course of this four issue series. I have gone from not even knowing this was going to exist to highly anticipating the second issue. It's like a Hell quantum yeah. mania, you know. There you go. Next up, another one that I was very excited about personally, Superman Space Age, number one from DC Comics, written by Mark Russell, art by Mike and Laura Allred. And if you wondered what it would be like if that team ever did New Frontier, I have great news for you. Here it is. I mean, shout to this team. Mark Russell, a writer we really love who can somehow um, combine like really fun and funny ideas with like really poignant and emotional deep reaching ideas uh teamed up with the Allreds like this is just win 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 skirt 
Yeah, I mean, first off, we got to back up the truck and talk about the covers. Some really creative, really yeah, fun covers. Got to talk about the covers. Bananas art, great story. I mean, it's long, but you know, you're getting a lot of bang for your buck here. Uh, it just just feels like kind of a classic Superman story uh, told with just some amazing uh, uh, art leading the way. There's one panel I want to talk about real quick where um, Clark in his sort of farmer overalls takes off uh, flying from the porch. And yeah. it's rare to see like flying characters, specifically Superman, and be like, oh, that I'm worried a little bit. Or that's a little – that doesn't make sense. That's a little stressful. There's something about the way this panel is drawn by the All Reds where like – you feel like it's hard for him to fly. Like it takes a little bit of extra effort. And I just haven't seen that in so long. And I, and it's um, Martha shouting Clark, right. As he jumps off the porch. It was, it was great. It really added a weight and a reality to this story that I, I thought was cool. Next up book of shadows. Number one from Valiant comics written by Cullen Bunn art by Vicente Cifentes. This is kicking off a big crossover between the magic characters in the Valiant universe led by shadow man, but including, um, I wanted to say Lady Smith, Black Mabazo, but it's Punk Mambo. <laughs> I didn't see them pop up. Yeah. Uh, and Dr. Mirage and a new one I'm not entirely familiar with. Uh, but what do you think about Persephone? Let's shout out Persephone, who's in here. Yeah. Um, and then later on, because I, I love the introduction of this character, uh, Punk uh, Mambo. Punk Mambo. Dr. Mirage, yeah. And the Lady, Eternal Warriors Smith, in there. Lady Smith, Black Mabazo. That's her name. Yeah. Lady Lady Smith Black Punk Mambo. (laughs) (laughs) What'd you think, Pete? What'd you think Uh, about this book? Well, it's a lot. There's a lot going on, but I, you know, I'm a a shadow man head, so I was super happy to see my boy in here whooping some ass. Uh, This is a cool (laughs) team up. This is a cool crossover. Yeah. When when uh, have you mentioned that before? Just real quick. We've been doing this podcast for a while. When have you mentioned that you're a real shadow man guy? Uh, I've always said I'm a shadow man. Have you? Okay. Yeah. Let's just say Fucking shadow man head sounds weird. You're a man head. <laughs> You're a sh- man head or a shadow head? Are you a man head? All I'm is- saying is this is the first I've heard about it. So No, this is the first time I've worded it weirdly, but uh, I've always said it. <laughs> so right. go F yourself. I feel like this is a good first issue, bringing a lot of different elements, getting you excited for more. Um, I, I feel like Valiant Comics right now are doing a great job of bringing their like the 90s comic book universe style storytelling excuse yeah. me, up into the future. Uh, a, a type of comic book storytelling that I miss where it's like uh, all the characters are posturing a little bit, especially this issue, in a cool way. Where like when Punk Mambo walks in, I'm like, like, she's a badass from the jump. And we don't have we don't get into dealing with like origin or anything. She just shows up. She's like. Did anybody want to see me here or something like that? And I'm just like, yes, I love that type of like just going hard all the time. And so much is happening. I appreciate this. Comment. And this is, I think, pretty definitively better than Blair Witch 2, which was also called Book of Shadows. Right. What? Oh, great. What a definitive take. <laughs> Suck it, Blair Witch 2. You are you just got burnt by uh the Roastmaster General himself, Alexander <laughs> Zalvin. <laughs> Public Domain number two from Image Comics by Chip Sidarsky. The first issue introduced a writing and art team from back in the day who created a character who 
isn't exactly Superman, but they uh, they created Superman, and the writer got all the credit. The arsonist doesn't get any of the money, but still comes out to the premieres and everything. And his two sons, who have uh, headed in different directions in life, at the end of the first issue, through a series of events, he found out that he may actually own all the rights to the characters. That's what we're dealing with in this issue. I'll tell you what. I I really love this book. Like, I love how deep it's diving into the comic book industry. But I was very surprised that we didn't dive into this conflict in the second issue. There's a little bit of a pause here as everybody figures their stuff out. And I kind of appreciated that. Uh, now, I know, oh, wow. Justin, you were a little trepidatious about the first issue. And I think it doing this in particular. So how'd you feel about this? Well, I wasn't trepidation about the, uh, the first issue. I was like, I don't know how we're going to move forward with this because it felt very much like sort of on off switch, like either they're going to make a bunch of money and get the rights back. And it sort of is that, uh, comic book writers fantasy fulfilled of like finally being given due for their creative endeavor or they weren't. And it was going to be just super depressing and tragic the whole time. What I think Chip Zdarsky does so well here it does take a pause on that sort of narrative thrust and puts in a ton of emotional underpinning, both with the wife and the sons of our comic book writer, which I thought was so cool. There's a great, conversation that um he and his wife have in bed. Oh my god, like, it was fucking heartbreaking, man. I loved it. Where she's like, hey, you have you have you don't have one creation at stake here. You have three. You yeah. have a comic book character and your two sons. And you need to give them all the same due. And I was like, yeah, this it was just really well done of like taking the creative process and bringing attaching it to the way sort of we as people exist in the real world. And combining those two together I thought was great. Yeah, it really felt like it was Justin's wife talking to Justin and being like, listen, not only do you have two daughters, but you also have your Gabra show that you need to work on, too. So, like, <laughs> you got to spread yourself super thin and really give your all. Yeah. yeah Shout I'm out to 101 Places. I'm uh, currently airing on uh, True TV. Please check it out. 100 Places to Party Before You Die at 1030 Thursday nights. Give it a watch so that I can keep caring for my children as Pete is demanding and seemingly talking to my wife about something. <laughs> <laughs> and that's our review of public domain number two. Moving no, on to, I, yes. I just would, yeah, I wanted to say that the wife conversation really stressed me the fuck out, but it was also beautiful and and po it's interesting the pace that this uh, comic is going uh, about, but also what it's dealing with. And I'm glad we're not kind of rushing through it. It's nice to see them sitting in these weighty moments. Uh, yeah, this is, this is some powerful stuff. A lot of times when people are like, Oh, I don't like superhero comics. What do you recommend? This is great. You should check this out. The amazing Spider-Man number six, AKA 900 from Marvel written by Zeb Wells, Daniel Kibble Smith, Jeff Loveness and Dan slot art by Ed McGinnis, David Lopez, Todd knock and Marcos Martin. As usual with the Marvel books, this is the sixth issue of the new Amazing Spider-Man, but overall as the ninth, hundredth issue ever published. So here we get Spider-Man tangling with the new iteration and the classic iteration of the Sinister Six, as well as a couple of backup stories. What do you guys think about this one? Zeb Wells, more like Webb Zelsman, a great comic book. Because <laughs> I thought this was fantastic. Great way of distilling down the value of Spider-Man, something that has happened over and over again. I mean, truly, Dan Slott lives and dies by being like Spider-Man, telling us who Spider-Man is. And this was such a nice sort of um, different way of doing it, a remix on those ideas and coming at it from a completely cold outside source, yet still selling us on Spider-Man and who he is. 
and while also having a great action issue with the Sinister Six uh, slash seven, I, I thought this was one of the better Spider-Man comics I've read in a long time. Yeah, I was really impressed by this. This is a huge issue. So much goes down. Uh, I almost feel like they need more people on the team to tell the story. But I, all joking aside, this is this was crazy. This was a lot of fun. And <laughs> all over joking the time, aside, yeah. Wait, what was the joke there? What the joke need? was they got like eighty people on this oh, fucking okay, team okay, already. Okay. You don't need any more. Uh, but yeah, I was really impressed with all that went down, and uh, this was a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, I agree. I expected something sort of more momentous in terms of the ongoing plot of Spider-Man. We've been dealing with some sort of terrible thing that he did back in the day. And so I thought we were going to really delve into that. Instead, like you're saying, Justin, like you're saying, Pete, we really got just this realignment of who Spider-Man is and what he means in a very fun throwback old school story. I loved it. I'll also give a shout out to Daniel Kibblesmith and David Lopez's backup story yes. about Spider-Man also returning good. some books to the library. Oh my God, that was fun. hilarious. That was hilarious. I had such a good time. And very it's, good. it's a short one, but Dan Slott and Marcos Martin is a uh, chef's kiss I mean, come on. team together. So good. Next up, Zeb Wells, more like Zeb Wells done on that comic we talked about. <laughs> yeah, you can imagine that. Uh, DC Mac, number one from DC Comics, written by Kenny Porter, art by Baltimore Rivas. This is a riff on the DC world where everybody, as you could probably tell from the title, has mech suits. Uh, instead of just their superpowers, and uh, there's also giant monsters. So it's basically Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, but set in the DC universe. What do you guys think about this one? What about robots is what I thought, because that's what this comic was saying. Uh, I Yeah, I just, yes, please, this is fun. Uh, DC meets Mac, yes, great, awesome. I just want more giants fighting each other, but this was a great setup for cool stuff to come. I really like the way they went sort of back and started this in um, 1945, Golden Age uh, era, and really brought it forward. Gave us a little justification before it was just like, hey, what if their arms were metal and stuff? The Can I give you my one hesitation with this book, which otherwise is a lot of fun and Please. the art is very good? Why are they still wearing their costumes inside the mech suits? That's the only you, thing. Just for the job you want, Alex. Just for the job you want. Because you're still Batman underneath, you asshole. No, no, no. But I'm saying, like, Superman is wearing... You want flashing sweatpants? You want flashing sweatpants? Superman is clearly wearing an anime-inspired mech costume. Like, he is dressed appropriately. Batman and Flash are just Batman and Flash, but they're also in Batman and Flash robots. I'm just saying, get your story straight. That's all I'm saying. And just so you know... Alex makes us dress like podcast hosts every time we get on here. And I'll tell you what, I'm sick of this dress code. Yeah. Just let me wear a three-piece suit like I want to. Exactly. I'm sick of wearing a a T-shirt with a loose button on the top and some sort of short and no shoes. I want to dress to impress. I want to bring back my pocket square. I hate this place. Number three from Image Comics, written by Kyle Starks, Good. art by Art Yum Topolin. In this issue, our characters who have inherited a, the most haunted, horrifying house and lands oh. in the world call it a ghost hunter who helps them deal with stuff. Maybe, uh, man, I this book is so good. I know I, I mentioned with the. First issue that it was missing a little of the Kyle Stark's humor, but they have found the perfect balance by issue three with the absolute horror that's happening here and the humor at the same time. I'm having a blast. 
I agree completely. And just to add on to that, I think the way the main characters dealt with the horror of the first two issues, and now they're like, I don't know, it's scary, Ghost Hunter. What do you think? You're the expert. Like, they're so over it. And I love that because it's still the most terrifying ghost situation in the world. I worked on a ghost show a few years ago. Yeah, and when did. this ghost guy came in, I was like, I know that guy. I know that <laughs> fucking guy. Because he line produced everything he said. Uh, I, I, this is so fucking stressful. Um, but uh, really how many ghosts impressed. are outside your house right now, Pete? <laughs> Just standing there. Uh, uh, hopefully, there's a couple listening to the podcast. Uh, but shout I, out to our ghost definitely. listeners. Yeah. Get your unfinished business done. It oh, pass on to the next life. Seems that way from our listener numbers. Oh, wow, Alex, get out of here with that time. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, no. Oh, are, we doing, are we doing bad? No, we're doing great. We're doing great. Okay. Love our listeners. Uh, but uh, this wait, book wait. is great. I, I No, I just wanted to mention, I love how sweaty the ghost hunter is. There yeah. was such a little detail, but, like, yeah. he's so sweaty the entire issue, and it's very funny. Let me back that up. Truth. That's 100% truth. The, yeah. the art's great, too. Something is Killing the Children, number 25 from Boob Studios, written by James Tyler the Fourth, art by Werther Daldaria. This is a big anniversary issue of the book. And here we get some big stuff going down as the member of the House of Slaughter. Well, actually, I think she's part of another house, but let's just say she is, who is coming after our main character, Erica, finally reveals herself to our hero at the same time as there's monster fights going on. Pete, you love this one. Talk about it. Yeah, I mean this you know this is the the one where it gets it gets a little a little too creepy with the the bugs and and that kind of stuff uh but other than that it's just continues to be intense and unbelievable art. I mean same this this book continues I know I've been sort of the a little hesitant on this book because not enough stuff is happening, but I think this arc specifically is moving it forward. I think that I really love the change in perspective here, and yeah. um, the dread is escalating, which is what I like dread to be doing. The Variants, number two for Marvel, written by Gail Simone, art by Phil Noto. In this issue, Jessica Jones is confronting several variants of herself while wrestling with the fact that the purple man might once again be in oh, her head. Dude. Pete, what do you think about this one? You seem uh, upset. Yeah. Yeah. This is like <laughs> so upsetting in all the creepy ways. I'm really impressed with the, the storytelling and how this is moving forward and kind of like uh, what Jessica Jones is going through and what it means if the uh, the purple man's back and how she's kind of pushing people away. And uh, again, like Luke Cage is the fucking man, dude. Justin, what did uh, you think about this one? Yeah, I mean, the introduction of Luke Cage is very dope in this comic. Mm -hmm. uh, so really Power like man, that. What's up? Yeah. Um, and I do like, like we talk a lot or I talk a lot about getting inside characters' heads in comics. And I think this you comic is- talk a lot about that. 100% uh, because I like that. I like being in heads. Um, that can live – this comic can live in my head rent-free is what I uh, say about living in other people's heads rent-free. Um, it would be really great to live rent-free. But I do think um, <laughs> this uh, this comic what a dream. Gets, us, gets us in Jessica Jones' head in a great way despite the fact that we're also dealing with multiple versions of her across the board. And I just love the sort of internal monologue she's having throughout this issue in response to super teams forming, um, talking to She-Hulk, dealing with like these existential crises, and essentially just being a parent and um, a partner to Luke Cage. Love that. 
Yeah, good stuff. Action Comics 1045 from DC Comics, written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, art by Will Conrad and David Lapham. In this issue, some big things go down on Warworld as Superman and his allies are starting to fight back against Mongol. Justin, you've been a huge fan of this run in particular. What do you think about this? I love this run. And we I don't know if everyone's heard this, but we just dropped a new segment in our live show where Alex drops a new myth each week, which Mm -hmm. is going to be fun. Uh, But I want to say the way the PKJ Philip Kennedy Johnson Superman run here, um, Action Comics run has been a new Superman myth. There's a great panel in this where uh, two kids are like, can we come to Earth? And Superman's like, do you want would you want to? He's like, really? uh, yeah, it's really great, and it's just Philip K. Johnson finds these great small Superman detail moments in the middle of like wild war world, like alien fighting, alien prison horror nonsense, and he finds these great just super small detail moments that I just love every one of them, and no other writer in recent memory is doing that with Superman, I think. Can, so I, I, can I give this. a quick shout-out? I want to turn it back to you, Pete, but I just don't want to forget this. I, I also, I don't think we give enough credit to Will Conrad on art here, because the way Word. that he draws Superman and vacillating yeah. between these enormous alien action scenes and just the softness in Superman's face, like when he's talking to these kids, is really beautiful. So uh, good. Pete, over to you. Okay, yeah, I I just think this is just such solid build up. The tension is crazy. I read the the last kind of panel and I was like, oh shit, it is on now. This is such a fun issue, and yeah, uh, Philip Kennedy Johnson is killing the fucking game. Sins of the Black Flamingo, number two from Image Comics, written by Andrew Wheeler, art by Travis Moore. This involves a a murky morality dude who lives in Florida and investigates supernatural mysteries. He found an angel the last issue, and that's what he's dealing with this issue. This book is so good. Yeah. The end. <laughs> it, I mean, Travis Moore's art, like, this is a sexy book. This book mm-hmm. exudes horniness and just general, like, sex. Can I, can I throw something out at you? I feel like yeah. it's uh, Greg Land used for good. Yeah, that's ex- I was thinking like Greg Land, but not annoying, you know, <laughs> like Greg Land without being like, oh, I see that you watch an episode of Friends and drew the characters into this comic. <laughs> like this feels like it is like a little bit. It, it, I believe these people as opposed to feel and I like Greg Land's art. Yeah, um, me too. but it does feel like he's cribbing a little bit. And this the Travis Moore art feels like it is uh, native to itself in a good way. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is why I'm scared of Florida. It's like anyone, anytime someone gets near water, I'm like, uh, crocodile's going to jump out and butt your arm. Uh, but yeah, this is such a... What about the snake? The snake is what caught me off guard. Well, I mean, there's a lot that's happening. I mean, there's fucking parrots that you got to look out for. But I I, uh, I agree, this is a really fun book, really fun character, and this uh, is very creative and, and uh, badass. Great last panel last page which was one so panel. good uh, like Did i love the text coming. didn't see it coming i love the text on the image as well really good the mm. vampire slayer number four from boob studios written by sarah galley art by poost this is uh continuing the adventures of willow is now the vampire slayer as we get an inkling about in this issue it seems like something has changed in reality things are not all right but like we did last issue with that 
uh, emoji demon or emoji worm or whatever it was in the graveyard. I think what this run is doing so well is diving into like very classic Buffy the Vampire Slayer type demons. And here we get one where they're just at a pasta restaurant that serves weird pasta on bread and stuff. Creepy pasta? (laughs) Creepy pasta. I had so much fun reading this issue. I just had a good time, and I don't know the last time that I've had a good time reading about Buffy comic books, so that made me very happy. And I think the lesson is what you're saying there, like leaning into the monster of the week, sort of the black mirror-y take on stuff, I think really helps this book to elevate while they're also doing sort of the underlying like Willow as Slayer and what the ramifications of that for a larger continuity look. But it's not mired. I think in the past, I at least have been like, this feels mired by the like us thinking about Buffy the Vampire Slayer as a show and as a comic and what it all means. And this just feels like it's having fun. $4.50 for fresh basil. You out of your mind? Like, okay, bread crumbs, $1.50. Okay, sure. Sure. Mini meatballs, $6. That makes sense. But $4.50 for, for fresh basil? It's Come fresh. On. It's fresh basil, Pete. Well, yeah, I get it. So this is a fun, like, hey, w- isn't it cool hanging out at the food court with your friends, just talking and eating pasta? Yeah, I, I love it. But then the kind of amped up to the monster kind of the week reveal. This is cool. Captain America, Symbol of Truth, number three from Marvel, written by Toki Anyabuchi, art by R.B. Silva and Zay Carlos. In this issue, Sam has been taken to Latveria to face down with Doctor Doom along with Deadpool. Tell you what, that gets resolved pretty quickly. And then they're on to the next thing. Uh, Pete, what'd you think about this one? I mean, come on. This is such a fun team. You got, uh, you know, the cap here with Deadpool. You know, you're going to you're going to have fun at the the, the side cracking that's going on. Yeah, I, I love the build up for this. The kind of uh, where things are heading is very exciting. Art is really great. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm excited to get more. I, I feel like in a lot of books where Deadpool guest stars, Deadpool takes over, yeah. even if it's not the character, but the Deadpool like mentality like overwrites the the narrative and the the sort of writing style and tone. And I feel like this book did a great job of not doing that and letting Sam Wilson still be the star. I really like sort of the espionage angle this book is taking without getting too much into. Almost like I think Sam says in the book that the Captain America shield is a burden a bit in this particular adventure. And I like that as a take for a comic right now. Oh, yeah. Batman One Dark Knight, book three from DC Comics by Jock. This is wrapping up a, what was it, 12 blocks, 18 blocks, but with Batman where he needs to make his way along Gotham City with a new character who is a human EMP and get him to the other side. It all goes down here. I really love this book. I think this is really worth picking up in trade. It was intense. Jock's art is always awesome. I think it wrapped up really nicely. This is one of the better black label books. What was your guys' take? Yeah, I completely agree. I really thought this was a great arc, really fun ending, and just kind of like a a cool, touching Batman moment where he's just kind of like, sometimes you just need someone looking out for you. Fucking amazeballs art. Fucking amazeballs. But agree, the action, reading it all in one, I think will really flow together well. Uh, lots of great art, lots of great, like, look at me, let's fight uh, moments. Uh, so, very fun. 
Beware the Eye of Odin, number two from Image Comics, written by Doug Wagner, art by Tim Odelen. In this issue, our adventurers are attacked by a bunch of trolls, as we left it with the last issue. They have had the Eye of Odin stolen from them. They meet some new allies this issue and go through some new iterations with their weapons. This is a very fun book, I think. You expect intensity from Norse mythology-inspired stuff, but here... There's a lot of goofiness going on at the same time. I really like the balance. Pete, you're nodding your head. What was your take on this? I'm nodding in agreement. Yeah, I really love the action in this. Nodding in agreement. Great news. Wow. Uh, I I love how action-driven this is. The kind of once you think you're kind of out of the woods and then there's more uh, troubles to be had. So uh, they do a great job of just raising the stakes every couple of pages. Uh, Yeah, this is a total blast. And also, you know, the classic example of like, if you get like a sweet axe, you know, you got to be careful because that axe can drive you mad. Pete, I honestly ask, when we tape our podcast, are you holding an axe that makes you unwilling to stop being angry? Like it feels like the that maybe that's – the when I read this, that energy really carried through to some of the stuff we've done on our show. Uh, uh, listen, I, I've talked to you about this before, but never ask me about my axe. Oh. Well, I mean, it's on camera constantly. It's like right there, so it's hard to not mm-hmm. like. If you see someone holding an axe, it's like, don't. I have one question. Ask for you. me about my axe. Your axe wife. <laughs> <laughs> Well, anyway, this book is very good. Why don't we move on to The House of Slaughter, number seven from Boom Studios, written by James Todd IV and Sam Johns, a script by Sam Johns, art by Letizia Catanici. In this issue, we're continuing to follow a very different story involving The House of Slaughter. Here we get a character who is traveling on a boat. This all feels very Lovecraftian to me in terms of being very interior. It's very different from the first arc. But I love the art, and I love the way it's playing out. Uh, how do you guys feel about it? Uh, I mean, I agree with you. Like, it is a big sort of change across the board. But uh, that's what I like. About, I like this book a lot, and I've said in the past that I've been appreciating this book even more than the main uh, flagship book uh, because of the sort of different looks into the world and the fact that we are getting an even more different look than what we saw in the first arc. I really like, and I like uh, where it's going. I, fleshing out this world is fun and something I've been wanting in the main title. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm not going to shit on the main title like Justin does. Not shitting. But the, not it, shitting. Uh, like, you know, I, I just think that it's, it's great. It continues to be great. The art is fucking bananas. And uh, yeah, I, I love every single issue that comes out. Iron Cat, number two from Marvel, written by Jen McKay, art by Per Perez. Here we're getting a story in two timelines as the Black Cat deals with the old paramour of hers who now has a Iron Cat suit of the title. And she's teaming up with Tony Stark. Justin, I know you're a big fan of this title. What'd you think? Uh, Jen McKay has been just operating in a whole nother universe with Black Cat and all of the ancillary titles and spinoffs that have come out of that. Um, I love all of these. This one's great. Fleshing out uh, a relationship with uh, that Black Cat had back in the day and making it really relevant. She's fucking with Tony Stark in a beautiful way. And there's just a great metaphor that runs through this whole story about what it's like to be a thief that, I just think this writing is at another level, and if you haven't been reading any of these, just pick up 
one of them because it's very good. How about this one? Hey, how about this one? Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, this is a lot of black cat fun, which is great. Uh, good just uh, position for uh, Iron Man. It's called a just in yeah. position. Nope. No, I refuse to do that. That's it. It's just in uh, position. Also, uh, fun smooch to ruin here. So, uh, yeah, it's a classic uh, Marvel art. Fun Smoocheroo. Deadly Class, number 54, from Image Comics, written by Rick Remender, art by Wes Craig. This is, I believe, the penultimate issue of this book. Is next issue the last issue? Is that correct? Seems like it. Something like that. Justin, looks like you're looking that up. But this is the most meta issue ever as we follow, among other things, Marcus finally selling his science fiction book to a network. And basically what you're getting here, I'm going to spoil stuff about the book, but basically the science fiction book that he's written is clearly Fear Agent, which is the big book that broke Rick Remender out. However, the experience that Marcus goes through is clearly what Rick Remender went through selling Deadly Class to sci-fi instead of some sort of network that he thought would have been more appropriate than that. Uh, it is basically Rick Remender self-inserting himself with Marcus. Maybe he's been doing that all along. I think that's been pretty clear, but it's even more clear in this issue. But wildly self-referential. What do you guys think about this? Yeah, I mean, the part where you, uh, you Rick Remender, like, it seems like they drew him in as uh, the fear agent in the costume coming out of the trailer was just this moment where the combo character has its mouth open and I felt like I was doing that exact same look. Uh, so yeah, just like, yeah, it gets meta, but it's also, if you're a reminder head, you're going to love this. This is just uh really fun. Uh, it's a nice, just kind of homage to the amazing ride we've been on with reminder over the years. I love this, especially as a standalone issue where, uh, Rick Remender sort of bends the story toward him to tell something. I mean, he's a he's a writer that writes definitely from his personal experience. He's always has, especially on this book. And uh, to see it here, it feels like he's bending it toward him. And then for the last issue to end, everything is going to bend it right back toward the character. So I I thought this was a great issue. It felt like a standalone almost. Blink, number one from Oni Press, written by Chris hey. Christopher Sabella, art by Hayden Sherman. We just talked about this on our live show, but if you haven't checked out the book, it is a found footage horror book. Guy is trying to track down a building where I believe his parents were last seen and some horrible things go down from there. I know we gave this big ups on the show, but be honest now. Okay, yeah, thing. now that he's not here, listen, I just wanted to say, like, <laughs> this really fucked me up. And, uh, yeah, I was, I'm super scared to hear him talk about the lost footage stuff, like, really made sense. Uh, it was a big aha moment for me in the interview because there are, like, panels in here that are very much kind of uh, all all about that and uh yeah this book is a, a gotcha book it makes you jump it uh it messes with you and uh it really draws you in until this kind of like creepy magical world in such a great way arts uh beyond ba- bananas good Super scary book. I mean, we talked about it on the live show, but like uh, a book that combines a lot of nightmare logic at the same time, just like technology meets life in a scary way. Uh, It's great. 
And Hayden Sherman's layouts, we talked about this a bunch on the live show as well, are very cool. There's so, some amazing double so page spreads out here. Very and good so stuff. it's almost like a kind of like what Batwoman uh, was, but this is more of a indie horror tripped out mm-hmm. feel that uh, just, you know, like college clashes should be. Uh, holding this book up as like examples of creativity and and uh, the way to do kind of horror in different genres. And to be clear, we're talking about like econ one hundred and one, right? Like those sort of classes. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't know Cornell. Really I don't know what classes. All right. I mean, I think we all really mastered uh, economics, the mm-hmm. economy. Like we're pros when it comes to money. Like we get. Oh it. yeah, we yeah. we're doing great. I'm doing a comic book podcast in the pitch dark, so I definitely get money. <laughs> Speaking of which, not to uh, move money. away from the comics, uh, you just turned off your volume, took out your earphones, and looked up in the dark. Is a bat going to pick you up and pull you away? Honestly, I think it's a Batman. I'm a little oh, worried. Oh, I, I earlier, I robbed a, a bank, Batman. and I am sitting on a bunch of bags of coins. You know, with, with a dollar sign drawn on the as outside, you, and I think do. this Batman's trying to catch me. Oh, that guy. The Dark Knight, The Swamp Thing, number 15. Oh, I'm, like a, but I'm sort of like a Riddler, but I do Wordles. I'm like a Wordler, you know, wow. Wordle from the New York Times. No, no, yeah, we, no, no, we, no got, I know. We, yeah, yeah, we got it. Yeah. You guys are cool with puzzles. I like right? the spelling bee. Oh, boy. The Swamp Thing, number 15 from DC Comics, written by Ram V, art by Mike Perkins. This is the second to last issue of this as Swamp Thing, now with Green Lantern powers, takes down the Parliament of Machines, or at least tries to, as well as wrestling with his brother. The big standout for me in this book, as always, is Mike Perkins' art, uh-huh. which is Come awesome. On. So Come on! So many tiny things to draw. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Yeah, I love this. The, the uh, You can't say enough about the art. <laughs> what if uh, that was all we said about it? Uh, like, so many tiny things to drop. Moving on. <laughs> a fun giant swamp thing. This really good conflict, smart resolution. You got to listen, bro. To be concluded, this I really love this run in general. And I think um, a swamp thing is a character and a title that like has great runs on it like shout out obviously alan moore uh his name is still on that but even after that charles soul and uh like so many characters uh so many writers that have come in and really left a mark and i think uh this run by uh ram v is is right up there and i've been really enjoying it radiant black number 16 from image comics written by kyle hangins and joe clark art by marcelo costa and this issue radiant black thinks everything is going swimmingly only to have oh, a villain team-up that he has to deal with. Once again, huge swerve in this issue. I love how they keep changing things up dramatically. You know, we've talked about this a lot, but Radiant Black is this rapidly growing universe inside the Image universe. But We're I about love to cover most of it. Most one, of it, yeah. In a series of books. But I'll tell you what, I love the fact that despite that, they're making sure that Radiant Black is taking big swings. It's not like, yeah, we have all these other books we can kind of coast. They are not coasting at all. A hundred percent. And I think if you like Spider-Man and especially since Spider-Man is dealing with some like larger problems, if you like the, the tone of a Peter Parker who is like dealing with his own life stuff, having some fun while he fights a bunch of villains in that are increasingly interesting and different Read this book. This book carries the Spider-Man torch in a way that I think is fantastic. 
Uh, yeah, I agree. This is continues to be a badass book that really takes uh, different turns and keeps you guessing in, in all the right ways. And it's really impressive to see all the different kind of characters and how they all kind of deal with uh, being Radiant Black. I, I uh, continue to be impressed by this. The art is bananas good. Tons of action always. The Wrong Earth Meet, number one from Ahoy Comics, written by Tom Payer, art by Greg Scott. In this issue, we're getting our two Batman stand-ins called Dragonfly and Dragonfly Man, dealing with some issues with their sidekick in very different ways. What do you guys think about this? Yeah, this is just really creative and uh, kind of crazy cool. Um, you know, it, it deals with a lot. The art is really good and gritty and fucked up. And, uh, it's also got this crazy fun meat backdrop, which everybody can appreciate. Ah, it's like a garbage plate, but in a comic book form, right, Pete? You're um, damn right. I think these, uh, these comics uh, are doing a great job of just like looking at comics and looking at how we deal with you know, your basic sort of like, what's it like to be a hero all the way up to like crisis on infinite earths and like all this uh, other higher continuity level stuff. This comic examines them and, and makes fun of them, but also makes you think about them in a great way. The Sandman Universe Nightmare Country number four from DC Comics written by James Tyne of the Fourth, art by Lissandro Esteren. In this issue, our main characters have head to a remote location to ostensibly hide away from the two killers on their trail, only to have some twists and turns there. Um, this book is terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, there's I, a great moment in this issue where someone's like, no, I, I got to know what that dude with the tongue eyes is all about. And that's I'm here for that. hundred <laughs> percent. That's me. I'm, I'm that's me. I really, I, I, I wrote down, nope, this is too fucking scary. Just, I mean, bananas art, but too creepy in here. It's just too creepy and badass last page. Wow. I love, I love the idea of having a Corinthian book because that's essentially what this is. Like you could call this the yeah. Sandman universe, the Corinthian and be totally fine, but Focusing on that character, looping us into his world and adding some new characters there is great. I am absolutely loving this horrifying ride. Radiant Red, number five from Image Comics, written by Cherish Chen, art by David LaFuente. This is wrapping up the run of the spinoff book of Radiant Black, focusing on the Radiant, who is also a criminal. Things tie up here with a big slam, bam, fight. Were you going to say dunk? I don't know. I don't know what I was going to say. A slam bam? You're saying slam bam? It's the old slam bam. Did you call this a slam bam? Yeah, it's a real slam bam. Well, if I can try to get us back on track a little bit here. Mm -hmm. uh, Oh, boy. I I love the... I went very well. Wow, are we that far gone? Are we that far gone? I really like the, the different art tone that we get to this book. It still very much feels in the in the radiant world, but it's kind of a uh, a cool take on it. And I'm just really impressed with what the characters go through and the kind of trials and tribulations in this issue. Love the art, love the action. They're taking big swings, just like in the big Radiant Black title. This this is awesome. It's Radiant Black sets a high bar, and these spinoffs, like normally with a spinoff, you're like, all right, well, it's not going to be as good, but I'll still probably like it. It really sets it just as high as the main title, and and is so enjoyable. 
Um, I, I think the character the characterizations here are so good. Like I really love Radiant Red the choices that she makes over the course of it. The way she talks about her relationship is so good and so well done. And great action on top of it. And uh, the way, like, I love her, the use of her powers, the sort of, I won't spoil it, but the way that she sort of wins, I thought was really well done. It reminded yeah. me of, like, Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul mm-hmm. shows that I've been Oh, shit. Oh, yeah. shit. That's a good call out. And I think this is going to be another good one to check out in trade in particular. Moving on to one that I know is one of Pete's favorites, A Righteous Thirst for Vengeance, number 10 from Image Comics, oh! written by Rick Remender. Art by Andre Lima Arujo. In this, we're picking up last issue. Our main character and his young ward were hiding out, just having a nice time. When his mom showed up, we talked about what is going on with the cliffhanger. Well, we find out what is going on with that cliffhanger in this issue, and it is bloody and horrifying, as you might expect, leading to an ending that you definitely wouldn't expect. Pete, fucking Rick Remender, man, will rip out your fucking heart, man. This was so intense. I've been loving these issues, but man, this has just been a whole nother level. Uh, I love the sparsity of the dialogue and the over the top action. This comic has been so tense, so insane. And this is such an, an extension and a heightening of that. Could not believe it. Uh, Just could not believe the twists and turns that we go on. Holy shit, Rick Remender. Holy fucking shit. It's like he's been holding our heart the whole time, is what I'm saying. Like all of his books, it's like you get to the issue and you're like, wow, that's it? And you look up and you're like, I've been squeezing your heart for like um, 10 issues. (laughs) And now I'm going to throw it in the garbage. And um, (laughs) to take your uh, review, Pete, just really... Uh, capitalize on it. Great art and um, another story where you really feel for a character and then it's very hard to read the issue that shows us their fate. Rogue Son, number six from Image Comics, written by Ryan Parrott, art by Abel. In this issue, our main character, Rogue Son, is dealing not only with the ghost of his father who's telling him to do stuff, but also that his mom is a supervillain who killed his dad. He is torn between both parents and has to choose one over the other. This is a big climactic issue of this book that is reminiscent, I would say, of the epic, I think it was issue 12 and 13 of Invincible, where he had to fight his dad. Oh, yeah. Maybe not quite on that level, but it's definitely like aiming for the same sort of thing. And I think it comes close to achieving that. What do you guys think about this? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, Rogue Son, but it's really about Rogue Son, S-O-N. But man, uh, oh shit! Do you do you think? Oh wow! Okay, because of the powers, though, it's S U N because he's got some flame powers. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like he can torture. You like a son. But he's yeah. also yeah. a son. He's but a, son. a son. He's a son. Right. But well, he's sort son. of blushing. So it's like rouge son. Oh. It's like oh, rouge son. You know, you yeah. ruined it. I was having some fun and then you <laughs> fucked me on the, the <laughs> oh, rouge that fun? Oh, He yeah. fucked you? He yeah, fucked the, you on the rouge thing? He did. You're saying he, did, he yeah. fucked you. That's what you <laughs> yeah. said. Yeah. He I, fucked I, you I, on that. I heard what I said. You said all the listeners out there are like, man, Pete was on a real roll with that rogue son bit. Alex fucked him. Yeah. Just let it be known on this episode of the stack, Alex <laughs> fucked Pete. Uh, yeah, it's just the classic. We were having a good time, and then Alex walked in the room. So <laughs> I, I think it was one of those things where 
you know, we're this... never we're always in the room. But there's never a time in our lives when we're not in the same room, Pete. And so don't when you guys are when Alex is fucking you, I'm watching. <laughs> oh wow. Uh some great splash yeah, pages. When you in looked here. out, there was one set of footprints because I was fucking you. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard the second half of that famous poem, but that makes a lot of sense. Uh, um, yeah, we kind of really get down to the family matters of it all in this issue. And uh, Pete you know, committed uh, to the review of this comic. <laughs> no, they can stop him from finishing it up. Uh, yeah, I I, uh, I really have been enjoying this, and uh, the artist uh, and continues to be bananas. Um, yes, agreed. Uh, I also enjoyed this. I think this comic really escalated from a sort of pretty uh, standard um, superhero adventure uh, fight comic into a very intense emotional family drama that I was very surprised to find it to be continued at the end of this issue. I'm excited to see where it goes next, and I'm excited for you listeners to join us in the next episode find out what happens after Alex fucks Pete. If you'd like to support this podcast <laughs> patreon.com slash comic, comic book club also we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7pm to Crowdcast on YouTube. Come hang out we would love to chat with you about comic books Apple, Spotify, Stitcher or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen and follow the show at comic book live on Twitter comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more until next time we'll see you at the comic book shop. Yeah yeah, I was there the whole time. Oh, man.